pray with me? Uh, God, we do uh, give you the highest praise uh, because you're worthy of it all. Uh, Lord, this morning we pause and we give you thanks for uh, your grace and for uh, your goodness. Uh, thank you for the patience that you uh, show us each and every day. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are steadfast in your love uh, for your people. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are gracious and kind to us. Uh, Lord, thank you for your living and active word. Thank you that uh, you haven't remained silent, that you've spoken, and that your word is alive, and you accomplish in it and through it what uh, you seek to accomplish. And so, Lord, I pray toward that end this morning. Uh, Lord, I don't, I don't know what everyone's experiencing, what everyone's going through. Uh, you certainly do. You know us perfectly. Uh, you know us better than we know ourselves. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would work in our hearts this morning. I pray that Jesus would be glorified and that we would be changed. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Church family, I hope you are well. Uh, yesterday, I uh, found myself uh, traveling east on 73. I was kind of out by Burkdale. I was driving toward Concord, and I was in the mood for a cup of coffee. And so I pulled up to what was a stoplight. There were two uh, left-hand uh, turn arrows. Both of them were red. I don't know if you have your driver's license or not, but if you have a red arrow, red means stop. I don't know who said go. You're not getting your license. Uh, green means go. Red means stop. There were two lanes to my right. The light was green for them. I saw cars passing me by, but I was in one of the left-hand turn lane with a solid red arrow, which means stop. And so I was just sitting there waiting. It was early in the morning. It was before seven. There wasn't a ton of traffic. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting. In my waiting, a car pulled up alongside of me and pulled right through the solid red arrow that means stop. Listen, I'm not here to tattletale on them, but it was a white Lexus license plate number. Okay, no, I'm just joking. I didn't, I didn't get the license plate number. Do you want to know why? Because they didn't stop. Right In that moment, I thought to myself, James, this is a perfect opportunity for a citizen's arrest. <laughs> like it really, like I had this thought, like I should go after them, but I didn't. Do you want to know why? Because I had a solid red arrow that means stop. And so I just say, to, I said a quick little prayer, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would minister to their hearts when they're in prison. Right? I, 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 wanted, I wanted God to deal justly with them. I couldn't go. I was stopped there. I was watching as cars were zipping by. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And the light did not turn green. And I thought to myself, Lord, I don't know who that was, but they might be the smartest people on the planet. Right, because they knew that that light wasn't going to turn. Finally, in my impatience, I said, enough is enough. I got in the right-hand turn lane. I went through the green light. I drove down the road what seemed like a mile and a half before I could turn around and come back uh, for my cup of coffee. It occurred to me in that moment uh, that I am 
an impatient man. I'm sure that I have given ample evidence throughout the course of my young life uh, that I am impatient, uh, but in that moment, I certainly was reminded of it. Uh, Something tells me this morning uh, that I am not the only one. We have any impatient people here uh, this morning? Do you ever find yourself as you're uh, waiting at a light or waiting in line, growing in impatience? I think we probably have all been there before. I certainly was there uh, that day. Have you ever waited and it occurred to you uh, that you were an impatient person? Uh, Maybe it was at a stoplight. Maybe it was waiting for your latte. Uh, Maybe you were at a restaurant just waiting for your food to come. All of those experiences that reveal our impatience is ample evidence that we are impatient, that we are an impatient people. Uh, but, But I'm not talking this morning about just events that seem insignificant. I'm not talking about waiting at the long light or waiting for that cup of coffee or waiting for your food to come. I'm talking about experiences in life uh, where, where you feel that impatience because you are waiting uh, for a relationship that has been broken or tarnished to be restored. I'm talking about the impatience that maybe you feel as a parent when you have a son or daughter uh, that leaves and does not come home. I'm talking about the impatience that you might feel or experience when you are going through a season of suffering, uh, maybe a sickness uh, that does not leave after seven to ten days. One of the things that I love about God's Word is that God's Word uh, speaks to us, it speaks to you and to me, and it is incredibly practical uh, for where we find ourselves in life. Uh, James does this in James chapter 5 as he speaks to the impatient among us. And he says this in James chapter 5 and verses 7 through 11. He writes, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Uh, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James begins this section of Scripture and and writes to the church and says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of, of the Lord. The group of people that James wrote to found themselves in a season of suffering, and they longed uh, for the second coming of Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was there when Jesus was, was crucified, buried. He, he was raised to life, and he showed himself to his followers, to the disciples, before he ascended into heaven. James experienced that. He saw, in part, the glory of Jesus uh, when that had taken place. 
Uh, He heard the challenge of the angel when he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. So, So James clearly knew his brother. He experienced life with his brother, and he knew that his brother, Jesus, uh, had promised not simply to depart the world, uh, but to come back again. He didn't know when this was going to be. James heard the words of Jesus when Jesus said, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. But none of them knew when it would happen. They anticipated it, Uh, They longed for it, but they didn't know when it would occur. The second coming of Jesus is something that we read about quite often in the New Testament. There are 300 references to it uh, in the New Testament alone. Uh, The word that is used here in verses 7 and 8 uh, refer to Jesus uh, coming back again and being alongside of his people. It denotes the physical arrival of, of a ruler. And so King Jesus uh, promised his people uh, that he would come again. Uh, It reminds me of uh, certain times in elementary school when I would uh, get myself in a little bit of trouble. Maybe I was uh, in a fight with a friend or maybe people who weren't my friends. And out of desperation, when I felt like I was backed in a corner, uh, I would use and play the trump card. And the trump card, when you find yourself arguing with friends, uh, is simply telling them, oh yeah, well I'm going to go tell my dad. Right? And there's this expectation when you say that, that when I tell my dad, when I tell my father, uh, he is going to come. And he's going to come to my aid, and he is going to right all that is wrong. In the same way, James is writing to the church, a church experiencing persecution and suffering, and he's telling them, uh, one day, um, God, Jesus, is going to come back, and he's going to right the wrongs. And so be patient. Be patient, James tells uh, the church. The church here was, uh, was scattered. One author notes that James's scattered Jewish church was being kicked around the Mediterranean like a soccer ball. <laughs> that, that was the church. They were kicked around like a soccer ball. They were being uh, beat up. They were oppressed. Just the few verses before this, last week, we talked about how rich land owners were oppressing the poor. Uh, they, they weren't paying them their wages. They were making life uh, difficult on them. And so James writes uh, to the persecuted church and says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. The patience that James talked about here was not passive uh, resignation, but rather patient, expectant, waiting on the Lord. There, there is a way um, that God wants us to wait. Um, there, there is a way that he wants us uh, to be patient as his people. And so he writes to this persecuted church, and he calls them uh, to be patient. Why is it important for the persecuted church to be reminded uh, that they should be patient? The reason that it's important to be reminded that they should be impatient is because when life uh, doesn't go your way, uh, when life doesn't go my way, 
um, one of the first things to go is patience. We feel, as the people of God, that we have been uh, slighted somehow. Uh, It's easy for us to grow cynical uh, when things don't go our way. It's easy for our hearts um, to fill with doubt uh, because somewhere along the line, someone told us that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives. And we have focused on the wonderful plan for our lives. And this doesn't feel so wonderful. It's in the midst of that that James calls the church to be patient. And then he gives them an example of what patience looks like. Uh, He says in the second half of verse 7, See how the farmer awaits for for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the fall and the spring rains. Uh, The fall rains came in late October and early November in Palestine. Uh, Farmers eagerly awaited those rains because after they would plant, uh, they needed the seeds to germinate. Uh, Heavy rains would come in December through February. And finally, the spring rains in April and May would cause that crop uh, to grow. It was a process. It didn't happen overnight. Uh, And to fight against the process was futile. They they couldn't change anything. It's not as if the farmer was apathetic or lazy. If you know a farmer, the truth is that a farmer is some of the hardest working people on the planet. They prepare the soil. They till the soil. uh, They remove rocks from the soil. They plant in the soil They work hard and long. But one of the things that the farmer does not do is make it rain. The the farmer can't. He can go out and look at the clouds. He can get his weather app out and see if it's going to rain. uh, But he cannot make it rain. I have a bad habit in our house, typically around dinner time. Melissa, many times Amelia, and sometimes Noah, will be in the kitchen preparing a meal. And uh, yours truly will be a little hungry. And I get a little irritable when I get hungry. And so I've decided the best thing for me is to never get hungry. It's just sort of to graze at various times during the day, to to curb my appetite. And so sometimes I'll walk in the kitchen while dinner is being uh, prepared and I'll just stand there and watch. I'm like a vulture, circling, like waiting for my prey to breathe his last breath. And oftentimes one of the things that I'll do is I'll just put my hands on my hips like this and stick out my elbows. And when the four of us are in the kitchen, uh, sometimes it becomes difficult to navigate your way around. And so Melissa will come up to me and she'll take my elbows and she'll say, James, put your elbows away. Right? What, what that is code for is a watched pot does not boil. Uh, uh, that's a nice way of saying, James, your presence here is not needed, necessary, or helpful, right? Because my presence there doesn't, doesn't change the situation at all. I can't speed up dinner by simply watching. Like in the same way, the farmer doesn't speed up the rain coming 
by walking outside, looking up to the sky, and putting his hands on his hips. James says to the church, put your elbows away. Like you can't make it rain. He's reminding them, he's reminding us that we are a dependent people. So be patient for the coming of of the Lord. Be, Be patient. Consider the farmer. There are seasons in the Christian life where we find ourselves waiting. Not waiting for lights or lattes, but but waiting for God to move and waiting for God to act, waiting for God to comfort, waiting for God to give courage. And those seasons are seasons. What I mean by that is it's, it's not always a Saturday. It's not always a morning. Like sometimes it's months or years or decades. And God calls us to wait. James gives another reminder in verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There's the command again. Be patient. Establish your hearts. Or some translations say a stand firm. Why? Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's funny. James had just one verse previously called the church to be patient. And then he says it again. Like right after he just said it. He's a parent with an impatient child who comes up and tugs on his his mom's shirt tails. Like, mom, 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 mom. And the mother says, just be patient. Be patient, sweetie. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Like, Like sometimes we need to hear the same thing again and again and again. Do you ever need to hear something more than once? Man, I do. Not, not, not just something that I'm supposed to pick up at the grocery store or something I'm supposed to pick up at the store or a little project that I'm supposed to do at home. Sure, I need to be reminded of those things, oftentimes more than one time. But, but I'm, I'm talking about the, the truths that God gives to us that are true about himself and about us. Oftentimes we need to hear those again and again and again. I think one of the beautiful things about Scripture is that it's not always giving us new information. Uh, It's reminding us of things that we've already heard. And so James reminds us of what we just heard. Be patient. (laughs) Like, no, seriously. Be patient. And then he says, establish your hearts or or stand firm. This is something that, that both we are called to do and this is something that God does in us. Paul wrote in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. So listen, verse 13, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I love that oftentimes what, what the Bible calls us to do, God equips us and empowers us to do. God doesn't just say, hey, be patient. Like, <laughs> good luck with all that. Like, we know that. He, he says, I'm going to cause you um, to do the thing that I've asked you to do. 
Like, so we're involved. We're, we're preparing our hearts. We're, we're being stretched. And simultaneously, God is working in us um, to cause us to do the thing uh, that he has commanded us to do. Right? Stand firm. Prepare your hearts. It's like if you're preparing your home for someone to come over. You ever have guests over for dinner? Like, what do you do? You, you make the house look like it never looks. Right? You, you, you start to pick up things. The mail that you put out on the counter, you, you tuck it away. The, the random piece of clothing that you've just thrown on your favorite chair, you pick up. Your soccer cleats that you put in the formal dining room, You put them away. Why? Because you're, you're preparing the house for guests. You're getting ready. James writes to the church and says, establish your heart. Like, pre like be prepared. Be prepared. Be ready. Why? Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. Why, why should we be ready? Why should we be prepared? Because Jesus is coming. Now, admittedly, you may hear that, I may hear that, the cynic may hear that and go, <laughs> I've crunched the numbers, and someone said that 2,000 years ago. And that was a long time ago. Right? So this, this promise that, that the Lord is coming, that Jesus is at hand, it doesn't feel that way. I mean, if I was at that red light for 2,000 years, felt like it it wasn't like I, and someone said hey it's it's gonna turn it's gonna turn they're, they're going hey jesus is at he's gonna come back so so what did james mean when he said that because that was two thousand years ago I, I think what james meant is that when, when you look at the story of scripture when you look at god's great narrative uh, we're closer to the end of the story than we are the beginning. Right, the beginning of the story tracks for us creation and the fall and the promise that a Savior would come. We read in the New Testament that the Savior has come, that he lived, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, and he promised to come again. And so when we look at the story, we're closer to the end of the story seemingly uh, than we are the beginning. When Scripture talks about uh, the last days, I think there is this sense where the last days ha have been ushered in. But we don't know when that's going to be. I mean, I, I get nervous when, when, <laughs> when people start, like, making declarations that they know that this is when this is going to happen. Like when I see a billboard on the side of the road, like if, if they give a date, I'm nervous. Because the disciples didn't know. Jesus is going, I, I don't know. What I, what I do know is that the Bible says that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. And I, and I do know that Second Peter says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Uh, so we wait, but we wait with expectancy. We wait uh, for Christ uh, to return. You hear that, and maybe you go, okay, like easy enough. <laughs> God said, be patient. 
We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. We know he's going to come back. Easy enough, right? Easy peasy. Just be patient. Well, <laughs> not so fast. It, it's not that easy. It's not easy to be patient. We're impatient by nature. Right? And, and life gets dicey when we get impatient. That's why James says in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Isn't it interesting that James commands that after calling the church to be patient? He says, be patient, like Jesus is coming. And then he says, oh, by the way, like, get along. Get along, church. Do not grumble against one another. Uh, last week I was at uh, Panera. I have a membership there. I get unlimited drinks and coffee all the live long day. And my goal, quite honestly, is to go there so much that they cancel the program. Like, I want the executives, wherever they are, to be sitting around a table going, we can't afford this. Like, Metzger in Charlotte is just, we got, we got to stop. So I, I went in last week to get a cup of coffee. My, my favorite is hazelnut. I already lost my man card for admitting that, so say what you want. I like hazelnut coffee. I went in, I took a cup, I went to pour it, and there was no hazelnut coffee, the nerve. And so I was like, I can, you know, suffer for Jesus for a day. I went with a bold, you know, the dark roast. I go to pour it, nothing. There's another guy standing by the coffee. He's like, it's all gone. I'm like, what do you mean it's all gone? Like, it's unlimited coffee. It can't be all gone. So I go up to the, the nice lady up front, and I said, ma'am, do you have any hazelnut coffee in the back? And she said, hold on. Well, let me check. And she walked in the back, and I can see her. I can see her check. Something's brewing back there. And she comes back, and she says, it'll just be a second. Well, that's wonderful. I can wait a second or two for my coffee. But she, she didn't mean that it would only be a second. She meant it's going to be very, very soon. Like 12 minutes later, I'm, I'm formulating an email to corporate. I'm going, I don't know what the problem is here. You've got a, you got a program, but you can't run it. I, like, I, where, like where, where's the coffee? I didn't say anything, no, because I knew I was preaching on patience. This is spectacular. So I stood there for 12 minutes. Finally, she brought out the dark roast. I said, forget it. I'm, I'm pouring myself a dark roast. I leave. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation before where, where you have been impatient. You, you felt it in the core of your being toward the person in front of you. And, and oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes in that moment, we can walk away, we can stew a little bit, but we don't necessarily show our cards to the person that we don't know who is right in front of us. Instead, we stuff our frustration and we bring it home. And so the, the person that is on the receiving end of our frustration or our impatience are the people closest to us. It's a husband, it's a wife, uh, it's our kids, it's our family, it's our friends, it's our brothers and our sisters in church. James writes, do not grumble 
against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. A theologian, Doug Moo, in his book, letter, uh, The Letter of James, writes, Grumbling against those who are close to us is particularly likely to occur when we are under pressure or facing difficult circumstances. We vent the pressure from a stressful work environment or from ill health on our close friends and family. So it would be quite natural if James's readers under the pressure of poverty and persecution, would turn their frustration on one another. Moreover, the exhortation to be patient with the circumstances of suffering that the readers face could easily evoke the need for patience with fellow community members as well. Paul links patience with the need to bear with one another in love and with a refusal to pay back wrong for wrong. Uh, the word grumble here translates a Greek word that elsewhere in the Bible means to groan or to sigh. Uh, the word typically connotes an expression of frustration uh, from the people of God who are suffering oppression or even judgment. Um, it, is, it is fairly easy uh, to get along with one another when life is going well. But when things go sideways, oftentimes uh, the one who finds himself or herself in the crosshairs of our frustration are those closest to us. A church family, uh, may it not be so. May we not express our frustration or our impatience uh, to those closest to us, to the ones uh, that we love and do life with. James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. I get this picture of us in our homes or interacting with one another, and, and I can almost see our frustration bubbling over when, uh, when in all actuality, the judge, uh, Jesus, God is outside the door. So James says, be careful, church. Maybe you hear that this morning and you think, James, that is impossible. That's impossible. It's, it's impossible not to grow impatient. It's impossible not to grumble against my brothers and sisters, my husband, my wife, my kids, that is impossible. This is what James does, is he gives us an example of those who have done this well. The Bible does this. The Bible points our attention uh, to, to godly men and women who have gone before us so that we could be reminded that the thing that seems impossible uh, to us is not so impossible. James writes in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. I have to be honest with you. When I read these examples, I'm thinking, could he have chosen someone else? Like, could, could he point to someone who actually waited 10 minutes for their coffee but did it well? But he doesn't do that. He says, remember the prophets. I don't know if you're familiar with the prophets, but things did not go well for the prophets. 
When you look at the life of Jeremiah, things did not go well for Jeremiah. And James goes, remember Jeremiah. Uh, Things did not go well for Isaiah. Early church tradition suggests that he was sawn in two as a martyr. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want that example. I don't know if I want Scripture uh, to point me to Job. You know the story of Job? Like he lost everything. He lost everything. I mean, he was at rock bottom. And, and, and James is saying to the church, no, you, you be patient. Remember the prophets and remember Job. One of the ways that God encourages the church is, is he sends examples into our life to encourage us and to challenge us. I mean, like we experience this on some level in life. If you have a brother or sister who's godly, who knows the Lord and loves the Lord, and you watch their life, and they just set an example for you, and you're going, Lord, thank you. Like, thank you for them. That's so encouraging for me. I do this all the time. Like, I look at the people that God has placed around me, and I think, Lord, I'm so encouraged and challenged by their faith. Like, like I, I love their outlook on life in the midst of difficulty and hardship. God, I'm so thankful for them. And you know what that does is it spurs me on and it spurs us on um, to be the kind of people that God has called us to be. I love how James ends this section in James chapter 5. He ends it with this uh, concluding thought or sentence. He says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is such an important reminder for us because there are times in life when we're going through a difficult season or we're experiencing uh, some kind of suffering and the temptation, the temptation is for us to think that God is cold, um, that he is distant, that somehow he's pulled himself back from running the world and just gone, hey, figure it out. But God doesn't operate that way. He doesn't move that way. God is not unkind to his children. Isaiah 49, 15, and 16 uh, read, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What a powerful picture. James coined a new term that that the Lord is full of compassion. Another way of saying it is simply God is very, very compassionate or he is full of tender compassion. James reminds the church church of the mercy of God. God is fully or is full of compassion and he cares for us uh, in our difficulty and in our suffering. Do you find yourself this morning uh, in a season of waiting? And you're just waiting. Life, life is not going the way that you want it to right now. And, and you can almost feel yourself growing impatient. Maybe you're walking through a, a difficult season. Maybe you feel forgotten or overlooked or just Uh, plain lost. I want you to remember that that God is full 
of compassion and mercy. God sees you and he cares for you. You are not forgotten. And so church family, be patient. Establish your hearts uh, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Would you pray with me? God, admittedly, there, there are times in life when that, that call and the command uh, to be patient uh, can, can feel uh, just about impossible. It's because it's not what we feel. It's not what we're experiencing at the time. And so I prayed during those times that you would fill us with faith, not to trust in our feelings that are oftentimes fickle, uh, but to trust in you. God, you're good and you are sovereign. And you have not forgotten your kids. Uh, you, you know us and uh, you, you love us. You're doing a good work uh, in us. And so I pray by the power of your spirit uh, that you would work in us and cause us to be uh, marked by a patience uh, as we wait for you. God, admittedly, there are times in, in my life where that idea of Jesus coming again is, is seldom thought of. I sort of just operate like I have forever. And that, that promise made thousands of years ago is probably still thousands of years away. And so I, I just sort of operate as if you are, are distant or if you are slow in keeping your promises. Uh, when I do that, when we do that, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. Uh, Lord, I, I repent of my slowness to uh, believe. God, would the thought of Jesus coming again and righting the wrongs of this earth of making straight paths that are crooked, would that bring us immeasurable joy? Uh, with the thought that one day that we will be in your presence, that we will experience fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, would that promise be poured into our hearts this morning and stir in us an unspeakable joy? God, we ask for your help to do that. We pray that you would do that uh, for your name's sake. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. One of the great joys that we have as a church is coming to uh, the table, the Lord's Supper, a communion. A communion is an opportunity that we have as followers of Jesus uh, to be reminded of the sufficient sacrifice of Christ. Uh, to be reminded that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died, and he rose again. And what's beautiful about this time is when we come to the table, in us taking these elements, we are declaring that Jesus is coming again. And so while we wait, uh, we wait uh, with hearts that are full of hope. Uh, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I invite you to the table. Uh, if you are here and you're not a follower of Christ, uh, if you are hearing the word and, and you are uh, checking things out, then I want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we just would ask that during this time that, uh, that, that you let the elements pass and use this as an opportunity uh, to, to, for you to reflect uh, on what Jesus has done 
uh, for his people. Uh, as you quietly reflect on uh, the life of Jesus, let us pray uh, and give thanks uh, for the bread. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for the body of Jesus that was broken uh, for us. Thank you for his uh, sufficient sacrifice. Uh, thank you that his sacrifice was a once and for all sacrifice, that we don't need to spend our lives trying to earn your affection earn your approval. Jesus has done that. And so we thank you this morning. God, we love you. We give thanks. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll pull out the bread. Uh, scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse uh, 23, for I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray and give thanks for the cup. Now, Father God, your word says that without uh, the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Our sin is so significant and, and weighty uh, and deserving of death that it took uh, the blood of your son for our sins to be washed away. And so uh, this morning, Lord, we give you thanks for the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus, for uh, his blood that washes away uh, our sins. Uh, we give you thanks for the hope and life that is ours uh, because of Jesus. Uh, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take the cup. Scripture says in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? My God, thank you so much for the hope of the gospel. I thank you for life that is ours through and by Jesus. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would stir in us a desire for you. God, we often have fickle hearts. And we chase after uh, things that don't bring us lasting joy. And so uh, we ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you that uh, when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just uh, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we rest in and celebrate the life that is ours because of Christ. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Would you